Good morning. Whoa, I better move that a little bit, maybe. He'll do it. Okay, good. My wife would like that ability to just control my volume. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm happy that uh, to, for the opportunity. I appreciate the invitation. And uh, it is good to be with you and, and talk about something that actually is very biblical. Uh, somewhere along the way in the church, we've, when we talk about stewardship, what do we mean? Giving. And I'm not sure how, how it came, that came to be synonymous with giving. That's a part of stewardship. But you know what a steward is. Do, do you know what a steward is? It's a manager. It is, a, it is one who manages. Now, in our relationship with God, yeah, man, giving is part of the managing. But, but somewhere along the way, we, we've, we've not talked about how we manage finances. And, uh, and so I am thankful that you recognize this is a biblical topic, perhaps even more biblical than you have realized by the end of the day. And, uh, and I appreciate your uh, invitation to come and share these things, study them with you. Yeah, I do uh, come from Prattville, Alabama. I, I live in um, my... Uh, I've only been here five minutes and I've already broken something. I live in, you know what, I can stick it in my pocket, right? Something like that. I live in Prattville, Alabama, which is where um, Angie Duncan's parents are. I don't see Eric and Angie yet. I just called them out. I don't know, maybe they're, oh, they're downstairs. Yeah. So anyway, her, uh, her parents are members where I attend, and her mother is a really nice person. I would want her to tell her dad I said that. But I, so I live in Alabama, but I grew up in southwest Georgia, in Lee County, which is near Albany. And if you're from Georgia, you know that's the correct pronunciation. If you are a transplant, you're thinking he doesn't, but that really is. It's near Albany. And so because I live in Alabama, but I grew up in Georgia, I don't get to say this often from the pulpit, but go dogs, Go dogs. I know barking's probably not permissible at, in this venue, but, but go dogs. And we're living right in the middle of Alabama. It's been pretty painful for the last few years, but not this year. All right, let's talk about something that's even more important, and that is living within your means. If your upkeep exceeds your income, your outgo will be your downfall. Think about that. If your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. And there are a lot of people that have experienced that because they're not living within their means. Part of the problem, part of the challenge is we all think we need more than what we actually have to be happy. They did a survey among every tax bracket, among people in every tax bracket, how much more do you need to be happy? And the, the, across every tax bracket, the answer averaged 20% more. Now think about your income, figure 20%, add that to it, and you're thinking, yeah, I could, yeah, I, that would be nice. Boss calls you in tomorrow, you get a 20% raise, yeah, that's really nice. But the, the challenge is, somehow we think that's what we need. And it causes problems because you're not, people are not acting their wage. You know, we tell children, act your age. Well, we need to tell some adults, act your wage. 
Because what we have is what we have, and that's what we need to live within. Now, why is it that some people don't live within their means? Oops. That was supposed to go one at a time, but let's just, somehow it's going all at once. Let's just throw it all up there at once. Poor self-esteem, perhaps. Um, thinking that, you know, if I just had better clothes, a better, nicer car, then somehow that would make up for my uh, feelings of inferiority. I could sort of be on the same level with some other people. And so maybe at the root of it, doesn't mean if you're driving a nice car, it's because you have poor self-esteem. But for some people, that perhaps is the driver for them going beyond their means to have other things. Uh, for some, perhaps it's greed. They just want more. From the hotel to the building this morning, I bet I passed a hundred, no exaggeration, and you know I'm not exaggerating, I bet I passed a hundred shopping opportunities. Right? And I was here yesterday, got here yesterday evening, and there were a lot of people taking advantage of those shopping opportunities including me. I went to Academy and bought some Georgia gear because you can't buy it in Alabama. Nice shirt. I like that shirt, by the way. I didn't see one like that. But we have a lot of opportunities. And I do travel all over the world. I'm in about 20 different countries a year. And I can tell you no place in the world has as many shopping opportunities per capita as we do. And it's really tempting, isn't it? because we want more and more and more. And I know we don't like to use that word greed, but it's kind of what it is, isn't it? What about a lack of self-discipline? I, I know I shouldn't. In fact, when I've done uh, financial counseling, it, it isn't that people don't always, now there are a lot of things they don't know, but they know they shouldn't be in this place. They know they shouldn't have done this, but they did what? They, they did it anyway. Because they just lacked the discipline and you know living within your means takes discipline now the, and i see in this room a, a wide variety of ages which is good from the young all the way to the not so young the not so young y'all y'all kind of had no choice in some ways my grandparents told me about i felt like i lived through the great depression because they told me so much about it there wasn't really an opportunity to go beyond your means. You had what you had, and that was it, and there was no way to extend it. There weren't credit cards and lines of credit and, and you know, all this kind of stuff. But for those in this current generation, you don't have to have a lot of self-discipline. It means if you can't afford that new couch, you don't buy it. It means if you don't have the money to eat out, you stay home and you eat what you already have in the pantry. Self-discipline. And then one more I would say is, is peer pressure. With, with, when we talk about peer pressure, what age are we usually talking about? Over here, right, in this section. Teenagers, young people, peer pressure, stand against it and you know, don't cave in just because everybody else is doing it. And if, if, you know, if your friend jumped off the bridge, would you do the same thing? That's what I was, that was the, the hypothetical scenario my mother gave me. But you know, some adults don't actually outgrow peer pressure, the, the desire to be like those around them. Their car was fine until the coworker got a nice shiny one, and now, you know, I've been thinking we probably should upgrade, you know, and, and things like that. I remember when I was, uh, I, how many of you grew up in the 80s? 
it's getting harder and harder. Okay, quite a few, quite a few like I did. Getting harder and harder for me to tell who's what age anymore. In the 80s, there was this jacket called Members Only. Remember, it had the little things right there and the little thing, and you know, lived in South Georgia. You know, we needed a jacket like three days a year, but, but those were cool, man. They were cool, like Members Only. And it said Members Only right there. And I wanted one because all my friends had one. And, um, you know, my parents didn't really see the need in that name brand. And so when I got one, it was like, it was something else. It was like great value or, or something. I don't remember what it was, but it, it wasn't members only. Oh, I was so disappointed. You know, here I have a jacket and it's just like all the others. It's just like two words are different. But, and I really felt like they should have spent twice the money so it could say those two words. But And some adults are still kind of living in that same world. Peer pressure. Why is it some people go beyond their means? Well, these are a few possible reasons why. All right, let me, um, we stop at what time? Quarter till? Quarter till? All right, let me just move along. Hey, uh, Mr. PowerPoint Manager, is there any way I can make this go one at a time? I mean, anyway, you can make this Hmm, I don't know why it did that. All right, we'll just throw it all up there. All right, there's your lesson. Anybody need to respond to the invitation? Okay, the number one thing, seven, seven, as you can see, seven. How about that for no element of surprise? Seven things we can do to help us live within our means. And our, our means vary, don't they? They, they vary from person to person, pew to pew. They even vary sometimes even in our own life, month to month to month. Sometimes our means vary. But whatever the means are, we have this obligation to live within them. You know, if God blesses me with something, what I do with that becomes a spiritual matter. Get, get, get that. If God blesses me with something, what I do with that becomes a spiritual matter. If God has blessed me with my means, what I do with those means is a spiritual matter between me and God. That's important. So let's think about some things we can do. Number one, understand that God is sovereign and he owns it all. God owns it all. Now, I know that you would agree with that in principle. But just get your brain around that, and it puts everything in perspective. He owns everything. Now, think about the ramification of that. If I am living beyond my means, it is because I believe I don't have enough and I need more which is indirectly impugning God for not blessing me with as much as I think he should have. You see, if I'm living beyond my means, there is this underlying belief that God just hasn't blessed me with as much as he should have. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 is a passage that 
that everyone knows, Hebrews 13, 5, you've heard it and it's, it's very short and, it, and it's encouraging and it's comforting. Hebrews 13, 5, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he has said, here's the part we all know, I will never desert you or forsake you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, 5, we've heard that a thousand times, but have you ever wrote, noticed the context of it? Let your character be free from the love the love of money, and be content with what you have. Why? I'll never leave you or forsake you. You see, I need to understand that what I have comes from God, and it is from Him, and it is by Him, and, and when I choose to go beyond my means, that there's somehow this idea that, that reflects on Him for not blessing me with as much as I think I should have had. The second thing is, uh, I would suggest, is don't focus on what others have. And that's really hard, isn't it? And I'll tell you, it's not just us. Yes, we live in a first world economy, but, and we have all the shiny things and the trappings and all those kinds of things, but it isn't just us. It, it, this is a human nature kind of thing. And in the 20 or so countries a year that I'm in, Every year, probably 15 would be classified as developing countries. By the way, the next time you're discontent, just give me a call. I'll show you some pictures. I'll tell you about some friends. But even in those places, it is still so tempting, human nature, to look at what somebody else has. So this guy, he thinks... I mean, he's been fine walking everywhere he goes, but now his friend got a bicycle. Oh, now he needs what? Now he needs a bicycle. He gets a bicycle, and he's happy. He's never been so happy because now he has a bicycle until his friend gets a scooter. Now he knows somebody with a scooter. Guess what he suddenly needs? Got to have a scooter. Gets a scooter. Somebody else gets a motorcycle. Somebody else gets... You see where it goes? It's human nature. The, the difference between us and, and most of the world is the things that tempt us are a lot less basic and a lot more expensive. But instead of thinking about what others have, what about if we were just focused on how blessed we are? Let me, let me ask you this question. You pull up a, uh, to a light out here on the highway, and, and you're in the middle lane three lanes, middle lane, you're in your car. And, and, and I don't know what your car is, so I'm going to tell you what your car is. Your car is a five-year-old four-door sedan. Got about 100,000 miles on a few things. You're sitting in that car, and you look to your right, and there is a beater. I mean, this thing is like you don't even know how it's still on the road. You look to the left, and there is a brand-new, shiny what? Corvette? Somebody say Corvette? That's a good choice. Brand new shiny Corvette. Oh, by the way, one time, just to show you how this gets just like in our DNA, we were on the way to church one Sunday morning. My youngest, we have three children. The youngest was like three years old, four years old maybe. We were driving and he saw a brand new shiny Corvette. And I heard him in the car seat behind me say, whoa, mama. <laughs> not, not even joking. So you're in the middle lane, 
Junker to your right, the shiny Corvette to your left. What are you more likely to think? Wow, I'm so blessed to have this car. Or, wow, I wish I had that. Which one? We know the answer, don't we? Why? Why is that? We could be equally thankful that we have this instead of that, but no, we choose to see what others have and somehow let that affect our level of contentment. If I had a bigger house, if I had more money, if I had nicer clothes, if I could just move, if I had a different job. But you know what? It'll always be something else. Get that car, you'll wish you had something else. Get that house, you'll wish you had something else. It's just, until we get a hold of those desires, we'll never be completely satisfied. So stop focusing on what other people have. Number three, don't always expand your lifestyle after you get a raise. Now, I see some smiles already because you know this human tendency, don't you? Friday afternoon, boss calls you in, you're nervous. But then he says, hey, you've been doing a great job. We appreciate you. We're going to give you a new position. We're going to do whatever, whatever. But the end result is you're now going to be making $100 a week more. Oh, you're so happy because, number one, you were afraid they were getting ready to fire you. But you walked out of there with a raise. And before you even get home, mentally, you've already allocated all of that 100 bucks. $400 a month. Oh, man, do you know what we can do now? Am I right? And you pull into the driveway, and in your mind, you've spent 120 bucks a week already. It's gone. Because it feels like free money. First of all, it's not free. You worked for it, and you earned it. But let me give you three reasons why you don't need to expand your lifestyle just because you get a raise. Number one, because you probably could stand to save more. The studies show that, that we typically save about 2 to 3%. There are some years the, the, the studies show that we're not saving at all. In fact, the, uh, the, the savings rate, if you will, is at 103%, which means the average American has spent 3% more than they've made. You could probably stand to save more, so don't think you've got to somehow allocate this new money somewhere. Another reason not to do that is because you need more margin. You need more margin. Margin is defined as that, I'm going to give you a really shade tree layman's definition. Margin is the difference between what you make and what you spend. And you want it to be more and not less. If you're spending what you're making, you have zero margin. You're spending 99% of what you make, you've got a 1% margin. You don't want to be there. You don't want to be there. That's not a good way to live. We'll talk about digging out of debt after lunch, but it's not where you want to be. Another reason why you don't need to expand your lifestyle after a raise is because the unexpected happens. The unexpected happens. You can expect it. It's going to happen. So 
I've got this raise and I've already allocated it to here, here, and here. And it's now I'm back to zero margin. Now I'm back to where I was before. And then the washing machine goes out. And, and you know, if you've had any live experience, they come in spurts, don't they? The washing machine goes out. You got to fix the transmission and, and some medical emergency lands you in the ER all in one week. And you're like, wow, what, what in the world just happened? Well, you need to save, need to be prepared, you need to increase your margin. Number four, don't succumb to when-then thinking. When-then thinking. And, and when-then thinking is so natural. It's so easy. It's natural because it, in the moment it lets us off the hook. That's why it is so easy. But all of us have done when-then thinking. Let me give you a few examples. When I get a raise, then I'll save more. You see what that does is I, I, I'm off the hook for saving more now because I don't yet have the raise. But, oh, but when I get it, I, I, yeah, then I will. When-then. When I change jobs, then I'll manage my money better. I mean, these people are not paying me enough to even bother with managing the money that I have. So I'm off the hook, right? Until I get a new job. When I get a raise, then I'll give generously. When the kids leave, then we will start saving. But you know, let me tell you two, th two problems with that. Number one, that thinking, when-then thinking, does not acknowledge any joy or opportunity in the present moment. Everything is down the road. Everything is in the potential future. But there's joy and opportunity now, but not if I'm always when-then thinking. Here's perhaps the biggest problem with when-then thinking, is when, and, and you'll, you know this is right, when the when happens, remember I said when, whatever, then. When the when happens, there's always another when and not a then. The then never comes. We simply replace that when with a new when. When I get a, a raise, then I will begin saving. But then I get that raise, and before I even got home, it's already gone. So now the then never came. I've just got to replace it with a new when. And if that's the way you live, you'll never, ever, ever enjoy the, the, the joy and the freedom of living within your means. Number next, where am I? Y'all can tell me, can't you? You can tell me better than I can. Learn to be content. Learn to be content. You're supposed to either start or end with the most important point. I didn't do it, but this is it. Learn to be content. The number one driver of people going into debt, of living beyond their means, of, of living under the constant pressure and stress of financial obligations, the number one driver is a lack of contentment. It really is. We'll talk more about it in the, the sermon. But that, that house and that car and that vacation and that phone... It used to be enough. 
You remember, and things change so subtly, don't they? You remember when this was like this really uh, crazy luxury item? Y'all remember that? Some of y'all remember when it came with a bag and the buttons, you know, were on the backside of it and you had to really be a baller to be walking around with that bag phone and it was, you know, $12 a minute or whatever. And uh, the first one I ever got was a flip Motorola flip phone and my plan came with 30 minutes a month. <laughs> a month. And now got to have it, right? Mine's shattered and cracked and it's probably on its last leg, but but you see what happens is the 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 what we used to think of as luxury now becomes necessity. And, and I I guess I could sort of make a case that in some ways it has become semi necessity, but but it can't just be any phone. It's got to be the latest. It's got to be the 13 or the 15 or the whatever it is. Why? Because we have a hard time being content. But let me say it this way. Until our true contentment is found in God, we will spend our life and our resources in a futile, never-ending search for something else. Until our true contentment in life is found in God, we will spend our life and our resources in a never-ending, futile search for something else. That's the reality of it. And how many people have we known who had unlimited, for, as we would view it, unlimited amounts of money and had no contentment? See, the, here's the good news and the bad news. It's the same thing. The good news and the bad news is you can't find contentment in stuff. If you're searching for contentment in that, that's a bad thing. I got, that's bad news for you. If you aren't searching for it or you don't have it, that's good news. You don't have to have those things to be truly content. And if we're not content, we will never be able to live within our means. Number six, understand materialism. How can I get a hold of my finances? Well, one of the things I need to do is, is actually understand what materialism is. All right, let me do, show of hands. Is materialism bad? Is, it, is materialism bad or wrong? Some of y'all, you're not, you, it's okay? I thought in church we were supposed to say materialism is bad. Oh, we got one. Only one person eschews material things. I, I, I see the... Like, nobody was really comfortable with that question. We're not exactly sure what to do with it, which I think is part of my point. We don't exactly know what materialism is. Is it having a lot of stuff? Is it having a nice car? Is it, is it having a nice house? Is it, what is materialism? I don't know that we've exactly pinpointed what that is. Are wealthy people materialistic? I mean, if you have a lot, does that make you materialistic? If you don't have much, does that mean you are not materialistic? See, the Bible actually never condemns wealth. Remember, who, who is the source of wealth? Why would he condemn wealth? 
In fact, some of the heroes of the Bible were, and this is, you know, everything's contemporary. It's, it's, it's relative at the time, but, but some of the people that were heroes in the Bible were wealthy. Now, you and I would look at them probably as poor because Solomon didn't have internet. He didn't have a, a chariot with an engine on it and air conditioning and, a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and an XM radio in it. I mean, poor guy. But you think about Abraham, Job, Solomon, David, probably Lydia. Oh, no, we go. Some of the heroes of the Bible were in their time wealthy. God never condemns wealth. What is materialism? See, here's, here's the, the thing that the Bible does do. It warns us of the, the, the effect that wealth and desiring wealth can have on our heart. It warns us about that over and over and over. For those who are taking notes, and I see that some of you are, I'm going to share a few verses. We don't have time to read them and still finish. Uh, Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 19. This is one of my favorite passages. I'll refer to it later. Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 19. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Matthew 6, 19 through 24. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. And also verses 17 through 19. These warnings about the effects that the stuff of this world can have on our heart. Doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to, but, but we need to be warned that those things have a powerful pull on us. What did Jesus say about money? Where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. Be careful about materialism. So let me give you what I think is materialism. Materialism is trusting in or having our loyalty in the things of this world and not in the things above. I think that's what materialism is. And if that's the definition, it's wrong. Having stuff is not wrong. Enjoying the stuff. 1 Timothy 6, uh, 17 through 19, Paul told Timothy, tell the church that they should enjoy the things that God has blessed them with. They just shouldn't be in love with them. I have some friends that they live in the same uh, ranch-style brick house that they have been in for 30 years. They drive a Dodge Caravan, and they have given millions to God's priorities. You see, that's the thing, is, is we use, how we spend our money always reflects our priorities. If they were to walk, if they were pulling in the parking lot, if they were walking in the room, you wouldn't know they had anything. But they alone, we, we, at Bear Valley, we currently are partnering with 53 preacher training schools around the world. And they fund several of them themselves. They could afford a newer, they, they don't have to drive a Dodge Caravan. But they know what they want their things to do. And they know how long they want their, those effects of their resources to last, now or forever. We need to understand what materialism really is. All right, one last thing. If you're going to live within your means, you have to be willing to make the necessary changes. Here's the rub. People often know what they should do. What they should do. But they don't do it. Let me give you just a few examples, and, and I don't know any of you, and nobody's told me anything, so if I, this is something sounds familiar, I promise I'm not talking 
about you, just to you. Um, the husband knows that if he would just take his lunch to work, he could save probably 1200 bucks a year. And that, actually, that's, I mean, if you're going out to lunch three or four times a week, that's, that's a low estimate, right? He knows that he could do it. He knows he could just brown bag it, and, and they, would be, they would be saving enough to, you know, whatever, whatever. But he just really likes going out and eating with the guys. The, the wife knows that um, if they cut cable, they could save a lot of money every year, but she loves the Lifetime channel. That's the man-hater channel, by the way. Do you ever watch, you ever watch Lifetime? Man, men, or if you watch that one day later, you'll hate all men. But she loves that channel. And so there's no way to cut that. You can't cut that, even though we could save enough to get out of debt. You know, and so he could do the bag lunch, and she could cut that, and, and collectively they'd have enough to get out of debt. But, oh, they just love those little things. I love my Starbucks in the morning. You know, swing through, get a frou-frou, latte, mocha, squirt, whatever. $16 later, I'm off on my way, you know. You know people know, but, but here's the thing is it all adds up. It all adds up. Here's the next slide, the one you haven't, the last one that you haven't seen yet. I just want to give you an example of how it all adds up. All right, so let's imagine that you spend $10 a week. That's a $2 a day, $2 a weekday on something. That's really not that much, but in 25 years, which is a long time, you'll have spent $13,000. But just imagine now that for the same 25 years, you save $10 a week, $2 a day, put it in a, a, an investment vehicle that averages 6%. That's a pretty low estimate, by the way. What you have is 38,000. And if you're thinking, well, that's only a difference of 25,000. No, no, you, no, you don't have, you haven't grasped the concept yet. There's a huge difference between spending and saving. Add those two together, that's the true, true difference. My wife is a supervisor at Kohl's. Anybody ever shop, y'all shop at Kohl's? All right, here's what they do at Kohl's. You go in there and you buy a pair of socks and it costs $2.99, and at the bottom of it, they say, you saved, and they're supposed to circle that number, you saved $143, or whatever nonsense they make up. <laughs> no, I didn't save any, if I actually saved it, I'd still have it. But I'm $3 shy of what I had when I walked in because I spent it, I didn't save anything. And it doesn't matter how much it used to cost, if you buy it, you didn't save it. I'm not saying you shouldn't buy it. I like a good deal too, but I'm just saying we've got to get our brain around what this really looks like in reality. The difference between spending $10 a week and saving $10 a week is more than $50,000. But for most people, it's not $10 a week. Let's look at this other one that I'm going to suddenly surprise you with on the slide. Uh, $50 a week. This is more like it, right? 25 years, 65000 spent. Save $50 a week. 25 years, safe investment vehicle, 142000 That is a difference of a quarter million dollars. Spending $50 a week, saving and then investing $50 a week is a difference of a quarter 
million dollars in 25 years. It all adds up. By the way, when you talk about investing, if, if you don't have some, you don't, your money's not working for you, especially with the current inflation rate. I mean, good grief. Some of us are around during the Jimmy Carter days. This, this, we're back there now. Inflation's running eight and a half, something like that percent. If you're, you're not earning that on your funds, you're actually losing money. Young people, man. How many of y'all wish you knew about investing when you were their age versus when you found out about it? Do the math. Start putting a little bit away, and it will absolutely blow your mind what it can be worth one day and the good you can do with it. We have a friend. They have a, had a rental house. They let tenants pay for it. That house was sold and now completely funds four preacher training schools for the next decade. How'd they do it? They lived within their means. It all adds up. And when we will make the right choices, when we will put our priorities where they need to be, when we will have self-discipline, then we too can live, what, doesn't matter what your means are, you can live within them. All right, I was hurrying so that I could have a couple of minutes for questions or comments before the bell. Was there a bell? There's only a first one. There wasn't a first one. I got 10 more minutes after the bell. When was the bell? You didn't tell me. <laughs> hey, how am I supposed to know? All right, any questions, comments, observations uh, before the whatever bell is gonna ring whenever it does? Anyone? Oh, man, that's, we got to bring in a new speaker for that one. Um, you know, here's the thing that I try to, and you know, children are all different. I have three. One of them got it, two of them are still, well, one's getting it, one still doesn't. Um, I, I think there's only a certain, for some people, the hard reality of not living by the wisdom that somebody else shared with you maybe the only thing to bring them into a, re a realization that, oh, because, you know, with other things, finally, my kids, my children are now old enough that occasionally I hear, well, dad, you, you were right. Those are rare times and, you know, you'll fall back and you hope you're sitting down. But the, the reality of living without financial discipline is hard. It's hard. And I didn't pick up on this stuff until later in my life. And nobody really, my parents lived it because they bought great value jackets. But, but I didn't really, uh, I wasn't really given this information. I was one time interviewed on a podcast about some of this stuff. And it wasn't rehearsed. I didn't know what questions were coming. And he asked me a question that took me by surprise. I really had not even fleshed it out in my own mind. He said, what got you interested in this subject? And I think what it was is going all the way back to when I was a teenager in South Georgia in the summer. You know what summer in South Georgia is like. Literally digging ditches in red clay and making three something an hour because that was minimum wage then. At the end of the week, I'd cash that check and man, I was flush. I had like five $20 bills. 
And I had an Atlanta Braves souvenir cup I kept my money in. And I'd give some on Sunday, but I still, I'm still in good shape. But before the next Friday came, guess what? My cup was empty. And, and I didn't know where it went. Anybody ever had that same, had to live through the same? And, and finally there came a point where I realized I don't want to live like this. I don't want to live like this anymore. Uh, let, me, let me say this. We're in a hurry. There's so much more that could be said. Uh, I did this, this uh, seminar in a church in California, and a buddy of mine that was that is the preacher there texted me the other day and said, why didn't you say this, this, and this? I said, I didn't have time. There's so much more that could be said. Let me say it this way. Be your own bank. Somewhat related to this, be your own bank. The younger, the better. Instead of paying $400 a month at 8% interest to the bank for a car, Buy the junkiest junker you can possibly drive for four years. I did this. Pay yourself $400 a month and earn 8%. And in four years, you can walk in and pay cash. And the difference between paying 8% and making 8% is 16%. I did that when I was in, the, in my 20s. I bought an old junker. It was my Johnny Cash car. It was a 70 Chevy, if you know that song, 70 Chevy pickup had an engine from here and a transmission from there and a, a gas gauge didn't work and I ran out of gas a few times, but paid $450 for it, got it running for 600, drove it for four years, paid myself a car payment every month, haven't had to have a car payment since and that was almost 30 years ago. I don't wanna go back to paying somebody 8% or whatever it is when I could be earning that on my own money. Be your own bank. When people start learning, see, I think, I, this is me just talking. I think when children hear it, oh, it's just some dad, some parent telling you to, it's the same as clean your room. No, we, we are trying to educate them for a life of financial freedom. Until they really grasp that's what we're going for, this is for their benefit then you know, it's going to be hard. But uh, I appreciate the question. I, I took up a lot more time than I probably should have. But I think once people, anybody, any age, anywhere, because I've counseled adults, and when they get a feel for how liberating it is to not be under constant financial pressure, they don't want to ever go back. The temporary self-discipline that's needed to remain free is certainly worth it. Any, any I got, was that the bell? When did it ring? Did I go over? Like you, I, I'm still, anybody else want to be my bell person? <laughs> All right, I've appreciated your attention and uh, we'll continue this morning uh, in the sermon and then all, and, uh, after lunch, we're gonna be talking about digging out of debt. By the way, a good financial move is don't go out to eat lunch, eat it here. You'll save about 50 bucks. <laughs>